Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Did Bill Belichick's decision to bench Malcolm Butler cost the Patriots a Super Bowl? What is Nick Foles' future, and should the Bucs find a backup quarterback like that? And we break down John Lynch's prospects going forward for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Welcome to Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. My producer is Steve Versnick. Has anyone found Tom Jones yet? (laughs) Tom is not here. We don't know where Tom is. We're efforting. I like that word. We're efforting to get Tom Jones back. Uh, The Rick and Tom podcast now renamed uh, Sports Day Tampa Bay. And you can reach us, by the way. We have a a new Twitter handle as well, at Sports Day TB on Twitter. And this podcast, uh, I think everybody... That had signed up for Rick and Tom, probably had an opportunity to listen to it, right? Seemed like it switched over pretty well. Everything worked uh, beautifully from what I can tell. Yeah. So we'll be with you uh, every day, uh, Monday through Friday. And I uh, got some stuff coming up on the weekend as well we can talk about later this week. But uh, to start with, man, it's just good to be home. Have you thought out yet? <sighs> you know what? Um, that happened pretty quickly, actually. About the time you uh, land at the airport in, in Tampa and you realize, I got way too much clothes on, and you uh, you get outside and walk to your car and you immediately get in the house and start start turning on the air conditioner and ripping clothes off. But How long did you have to wait a, on the airplane to de-ice it up in Minneapolis? Uh, it wasn't long. It really wasn't long because it seemed like we, we pulled away and I fell asleep for like maybe 10, 20 minutes, and before I knew it, we were steaming down the runway. So they, you know what? They got it down in Minnesota. They they got the whole snow thing down, the whole cold down, um, and their airport, you know, because they told us get there three hours. I mean, after a Super Bowl, you can imagine, you know, there's there's really more fans there than went to the game, obviously, but a lot of people from out of town, a lot of, a lot of Philadelphia fans, as you can imagine, and a lot from the Tampa Bay area, as I found out. But they told us get there three hours before, in which I did, which was a good idea, but they had. You know they had it down pat. Minnesota's it's it, it just a, it's a progressive city. They seem to be on top of things. They move people well. They you know um, the downtown, albeit they got this you know bunch of skywalks and things to stay out of the cold. But they had they had the dogs. They had a bomb sniffing dogs, and everybody got to go through the TSA machines. You know where you don't have to uh, take off your shoes, take off your belt. You know all this stuff. Um, you just put everything in a bag and you go. So it was actually fairly fairly convenient, but I was glad I got there early. But well, I'm working on about two hours sleep because it's just a late assignment and then the early flight. But it's it's really good to be back, man. I feel like I've been gone a month and a half. I, I had a pretty star-studded plane. This is how you know nothing's going to happen to you, or if it does, you're a footnote to history. So I'm in row 34C, and as I'm going down the aisle, first of all, in first class, and I didn't see him until I got to the um, baggage claim. Mr. Derek Brooks, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers Hall of Fame linebacker. So there's that. And then uh, Rob Higgins was on the flight, of course, Tampa Bay Sports Commission, up there checking in on uh, the executive director, checking in on the Super Bowl. And then in row 35, ladies and gentlemen, Tony Dungy. <laughs> so I thought I'm in good hands. Nothing's going to happen to me. 
Row 35. What row were you? 34. I don't know. Why was he sitting in 35? I don't have the answer. NBC needs to get on it. I mean, he did bring his son, so maybe that had something to do with it. I thought Tony would be in first class for sure, but anyway, he's a first class guy. He was with his son, Justin, who I, I'm sure you probably saw him on NBC all week. Oh, doing he had, doing he had the week of a lifetime. Didn't he, though? What a great opportunity oh, for that young man. Phenomenal. Huh? And, and they were they were at too. the All-Star game together, the NHL All-Star game together last Sunday. I saw them there, too. Before yeah, you see, it, he goes to a lot of places with Justin, who uh, is, a, is quite the little athlete, from what I understand. And um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it, it, it was great seeing him, of course. And it you know, he's so accommodating. I mean, people recognize Tony clearly. I mean, he's lived here in Tampa forever. And um, some of the some of the people actually, uh, not not so much the passengers, but some of the actual, uh, the guy that was working first class or whatever came back. And he has time for everybody. Hey, can you sign this? Hey, this is to my wife, whatever. Just, um, just a patient man. He was the guy, by the way, if you remember going, even before the AFC Championship game, he was... He was a big Nick Foles guy. He thought Foles was going to figure it out. He thought Peterson was going to figure it out. And and we've talked about how so many of these guys on this uh, Eagles football team, uh, and and he had talked to Nick about this, uh, are very faith-based. You know, there's there's a lot of Carson Wentz and Foles and, and um, Ertz and all these guys, uh, very religious and very spiritual. And you can see just the, the cohesion they have as a team, not not just based on that, but just, you know, there there is, I mean, there is Frank Reich. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that that, um, uh, that are into ministries and different things. And so, but Tony uh, had been told by Foles, as talking, talking to him and listening to him talk to some other people about it, that uh, Foles really believed that, you know, he was put in this position for a special reason. And Man, did he come through! It was. Uh, I, I'm still, I'm still amazed because you know he won the MVP and they had the press conference today with Roger Goodell and uh, I don't know they gave him a car or something like that. Um, but it's still surreal, probably to everybody, especially him. And 29 years old. I mean, here he is. He this is the most valuable player in the Super Bowl, and he out. I mean, he really did. He outdueled Tom Brady. Got some help from Belichick, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, but what a game by this guy. You, you just go back and you look at it, and you're like, man. And suddenly now, Steve, he's got to have tremendous value throughout the NFL. Oh, well, not only tremendous value, but his contract next year is $7 million. So if, if someone right. wants to trade for him, uh, you don't even mm-hmm. have to spend a lot of money as far as no. going to the cap. Now you may have to give up a lot to get him because of that. But Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you've just lived through a season where Carson Wentz got hurt. And thank God, you know, the only reason you're you're a Super Bowl champion is you had the foresight with Howie Roseman, who everything he did, by the way, worked this year. Um, Howie Roseman signs Nick Foles, and he's good enough uh, to go ahead and with the bye week and, and adjust the offense, good enough to win you a Super Bowl and be the MVP in the game. So why would you then want to go the next year and not have him if, God forbid, something happened to Carson again, except that he's going to be a free agent after, you know, 2000 and what would it be, 18? And so that being the case, his value is never going to be higher. If you could get, I mean, I don't know, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's much younger, went for a second-round pick. And obviously New England should have and could have gotten a lot more for him, but they, whatever reason, they didn't. Um, but you got to believe Nick Foles, even though he's 29, would, would fetch you something similar to that, wouldn't he? 
I would think so. I mean, your Super Bowl MVP. Maybe you know, more. And, and, I mean, and not only did you, you just a have a, a heck of a playoff run, but you know, you look back a couple of years ago, he had a phenomenal year under Chip Kelly. Tw- yeah, twenty-seven touchdowns yeah. and two interceptions. Yeah, so it's not like you know, it's, he's this is the first time he's been good in his career, um, right? You know, but but so if you're the if if you're the Arizona Cardinals, okay, who need a quarterback, and and might still have enough pieces around to contend. I mean, was wouldn't he be worth a first rounder to you, or certainly a second rounder? If if you think you can sign them long term, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, that's, have you know, to that's be, the part yeah, of it. Clearly, too, that's is, the key. Yeah, you know, he's got to be willing to sign long term with you. But sure. yes, yeah. Look, franchise quarterbacks, and and maybe he's not a franchise quarterback, but he obviously can win you a Super Bowl mm-hmm. if, if you got the right team around him. Um, right. That's everything in the NFL. And if you don't have a guy that can win you a Super Bowl, then it doesn't matter what the rest of your team does pretty much. You're right? everybody else, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't pay a first-round or second-round pick for a running back or a wide receiver or whatever, but mm-hmm. a quarterback that can win in the playoffs, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into, um, and I did want to talk about Belichick and this whole Malcolm Butler thing is fascinating to me, what's going down with that and, and, and what Belichick had to say today. Um, but since we're on to Foles, I've thought about this a little bit with in terms of, you know, and look, he's not coming here because he's not going to be a backup for another number one overall pick or top two pick, whatever. Um, But if you're the Buccaneers, you know, last year they had, they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, who proved to be very functional. I mean, he started three games, he won two. If you can get that out of your backup quarterback every year, you're, that's, you're way ahead of the game. Let me tell you. Because I've always said this, you know, if you need him for one game and he can win one game, fantastic. If you need him for three games and he can win one game, that's about what you expect. Um, but they got two wins out of Fitzpatrick. And I don't know what he's going to do, hang it up, um, whether they want him back or not. But if you're the Bucks, would it make sense where Jameis is or perhaps where he won't be, which is on your roster and not on some suspended list for three weeks at the start of the season? We don't know where that investigation is going to go just yet. So would it would it behoove the Bucks and I, I and it's not going to be Foles I would imagine but if they could find in other words not just a guy who's you know content to be a backup necessarily obviously that would be the role he would come but somebody who could actually play and or uh, if he played well enough you know would it, would it would you be and Jameis and Jameis in year four somehow hits the skids. Would you be willing to, you know, to make that switch? In other words, can you know? Do you want him? Do you want competition for Jameis at this point, or you just merely want somebody that gets along with him in the room and he's your franchise quarterback and forget about the backup? I think that's a question that really only Jason Light or Dirk Cutter or the Glazers can answer. I mean, yeah, you know, they drafted Jameis to be the franchise quarterback. He's now, oh, for sure, he's now going to be in year four of his of his deal. This is a very big year. Right. As you start mm-hmm. getting towards that fifth year option, and right, uh, right, and then you know where the, the big, big money the big coming money comes sooner in. or later, yeah. here or someplace else, yeah. Um, you know, I tend to be one that wants competition, mm-hmm. uh, but some of that depends on what what light uh, cutter and the Glazers think, but also some of that goes to the personality of your quarterback too. Yeah, you know, can, well, can, and I, mean, I think Jameis can handle competition, but you know, some players maybe, oh, yeah. maybe don't handle it as well. And if you're well, the short term, the starter. Yeah, there's short term hope, but the but it's the same it's the same problem. It's the reason why they got Fitzpatrick in the first place. 
is that they really like Ryan Griffin, and they really thought you know he was having an excellent training camp until the first preseason game when he, you know, had his AC joint sprained, and it knocked him out you know for seven eight weeks. But they thought I believed, and I had talked to other people in the organization about this. I I believe that Griffin was going to win the number two job. I don't know that Fitzpatrick would have stuck around for very long um, had had Ryan Griffin won the backup job. So they go into it and they say, okay, well, you know, he, but the problem is the same thing. His first snap that you have to use him in a game, a regular season game, will be his first snap ever. And he's been in the league for like four years. So, you know, you can take all the reps you want in practice, but, you know, you're playing a guy that's totally unproven. So I still think they're going to end up with a veteran quarterback. I just don't know what level that's going to be. Um, you know, again, Fitzpatrick was, you know, had had been wanting to go places where he could compete for a starting job. This is the first place he came in knowing that he was never going to start um, as long as Jameis was healthy, and he was okay with that. Uh, and, and assuming he doesn't play again, I still think they have to find a veteran quarterback. But you just wonder if, you know, if I'm Jason Light and Dirk Cutter and I got money under the salary cap, I'm like, dude, this is it for me. I have to get to the playoffs. I can't just win nine games. Well, and if they think you they're know? a playoff team, then – they almost have to get a veteran quarterback at this point because you have to assume Jameis will be suspended for a few games this year. You have to prepare he, for it. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, you that's can't what I'm saying. Assume, you, well, you, assume yeah. wasn't – yeah, you need to prepare that you may yes. be without him for two, three, four, yes. six games. Right. Uh, it would hopefully be anything w- – Hopefully that doesn't happen, but you have to prepare for that. And if you think you're right. a playoff team, are you willing to put Ryan Griffin, who's never taken a, a regular season snap yeah, – Starting weeks one through three. Potentially, yes. Yeah. You know that's that's a that's a risky place to be. That's and I and I know and I know because they've said this that they're not naive to the fact that they don't control the outcome of this investigation. They believe Jameis is, you know, they believe in Jameis's belief that he's, you know, nothing's going to happen. That he's absolutely telling the truth. And you know, look, I talked to Ron Darby, who was offended that I asked him the question about it, and got up and walked away from me. Um, but hey, he's a Super Bowl champ, so he didn't need to talk to me about that. But. I still, they still have, they have no, it's just like Jerry Jones and Ezekiel Elliott. You better have a running back. You know, you can, you can go through the appeal process if it does come down on top of you. But if you're two weeks before the start of the season and you get this news, don't be caught with Ryan Griffin and nobody else. So I don't know. It's, I look, the Eagles, we're not talking about them as Super Bowl champions if they don't spend the money and find a guy who has, was as accomplished as Nick Foles. And then, of course, the job that, um, Doug Peterson and, and Frank Reich and those guys did with him and getting him, you know, up to speed without having played any. Uh, and then well, and know, how they adapted ex- the playbook too. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. Simplified, the week. simplified the motions and, and yeah, they used that bye week effectively, but it was huge. Yeah. It was huge for them. If they don't have that bye week, I don't know that they're able to, to kind of do the work to, to adapt the way they did, but man, he was impressive. Speaking of the Super Bowl, and this is, this is a story. This is one of those stories Steve, that I'm not sure exactly what to make of it, but there's obviously something here that's going to come out in the next, I don't know, few days, week or so, uh, whenever, you know, that fortress in, uh, up there in, in New England starts to leak a little bit. But the Malcolm Butler benching is a big deal, you know? And it was a big deal during the game, but it's a bigger deal now that you look back at the game. You know, Butler, after the game, had no explanation for it. You know, he said basically, you know, they screwed me over. Uh, they didn't they didn't, uh, they didn't believe in me or whatever his quote was. But 
I mean, this is a guy who is, you know, going to be a free agent, got paid a lot of money, won them a Super Bowl against Seattle with his interception in the end zone on the final play or one of the final plays of that game when Seattle's going to win it if they just hand the ball off. And talk about, you know, I mean, this – if you didn't know better, it used to be like this is almost like Stanley Wilson-esque, you know, like what situation did they find Malcolm, Malcolm Butler? And I'm not alleging that he was involved in anything like that. But I'm just saying it's so bizarre and so shocking that, you know, they're sticking by this kind of ridiculous explanation. Well, we just want to play the players and put us in a position to win. Look, this guy played 97% of your snaps. He's clearly your best corner. And the Eagles will tell you, as they have told people since the Super Bowl, that they obviously didn't anticipate this. And it changed all the matchups, and they felt like it benefited them almost in every, every circumstance. You know, because it, it just put it put Patrick Chung on Nelson Aguilar, and Chung, you know, in the was playing a, basically a slot corner at times, um, you know, instead of a safety position that that he's more comfortable at. Um, you know, it it just it it changed the whole dynamic of the game. You had Eric Rowe was suddenly playing outside, and and you know he's on Alshon Jeffrey, and. You know, we saw him go over top of him several times and make great catches, one for a touchdown, you know, early in the game. Um, everything everything switched. Now, they've, they've struggled in these bunch formations and things, but they were getting basically man coverage when they went to him. Uh, and then they adjusted, and you know, they finally put, I think, uh, Gilmore over there for a while on Jeffrey. But then that, that left, um, you know, the tight end, Zach Ertz, to be able to get some one-on-ones. And we saw him score the, the, the go-ahead, what proved to be, you know, sort of the game-winning touchdown in essence. So I'm I'm just amazed that Bill Belichick, I can't imagine, like, this. Be, if this is just I'm the boss, you screwed up. I mean, because initially they just said, we're just doing, no, there's no, there's no there there. We're just doing what was best for the team. These are the matchups. But now, you know, Belichick sort of hinted, you know, Excellent question. I'm not. I'm not. You know, going to say anything more than I said last night. Um, you know, I appreciate the question. This is what he said. I appreciate the question, but it would be a much longer discussion. There are a lot of things that go into that. In the end, the final decision is what I said it was. Well, you just told us there's more to it than what the final decision you said it was. Well, there has to be something more to it. And and, of and I you know I'm not saying either side's good bad I, you know, no idea what it is but we don't generally, know but generally in situations like this and whether it's football or any other thing there's always more to the story than than what's ever going to get out mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and for a lot of reasons why it doesn't get out but something it's bizarre it's bizarre it's the Stanley Wilson situation you bring up it's it's you know not alleging that but. You know that's a perfect analogy. No, but it was you know, it, it was just so bizarre. It wasn't like, like it night. wasn't like he was set out a series. He didn't start. He came right. in the second quarter. What you know, it was he was. Pre- I mean, he played some special teams. That was it. No defensive. Steps. Yeah, but he absolutely like this is the thing that you can't. No one will buy the garb. This no one's buying this garbage. We put the guys out there. We thought would help us win. There's no way that you played the entire season and this dude rarely came off the field. And in the Super Bowl, with that group of receivers that you have to cover, that you don't think Butler is one of your top three guys. There is no way possible. And if he wasn't hurt, you know, there was some talk about him maybe being ill, 
but everyone's sucking it up for the Super Bowl. You're taking as many IVs as you can. Healthy guys are taking IVs. Yeah, if, before if you're, the game. Uh, yeah, maybe you sit out a few plays because you need some more hydration. Or, but yeah, you're gonna, you're playing if you're sick. You're out there. Yeah, you're out there. And he was told before the game. The players say they found out right before kickoff. This is bizarre. This is going to be a story that that will be a story about Super Bowl Fifty Two and the you know when they do the uh, you know sort of behind the music with this team when the dynasty is finally over. When they do the 30 for 30 about? on Bill and Tom. <laughs> exactly. That's right. It's not going to be the two Bills. It's going to be Bill and Tom and Malcolm. Um, but this is going to be the behind you know, behind the music, if you will. And uh, Malcolm Butler will, will uh, come clean and tell us exactly what happened between him and Belichick. There must have been some bad stuff somewhere, man. Because, boy, I mean, to think you'd put your, your Super Bowl in your legacy – I mean that's the thing you got, you got a whole franchise, a whole you know region of the world, a whole uh, history riding on you winning a sixth Super Bowl and joining like Curly Lambeau and I don't know somebody uh, for the most championships and Lombardi I guess and and you and you bench you bench a player that if it didn't impact the game if it wasn't the fact that. You know they were taking and exploiting these matchups, and 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 the Eagles told us exactly how they did it afterwards, and 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 sort of what they saw without Butler on the field. Maybe this would go away, but this game was won and lost on the fact that that defense was horrible. And Matt Patricia, had he not been getting a head coaching job with the Detroit Lions, and aren't they thrilled about what kind of defense they're getting soon? Um, you know, you could make an argument that Matt Patricia needed to be fired after this game. That's probably a little harsh, but yeah, I, I mean, I can see well, where you made the. I mean, the defense was pretty bad, uh, you know, historically bad. But their their historically defense wasn't great bad. this year to begin with. I mean, it, you know, I know, but I mean, in the biggest game of the year, you gave you gave up that many yards mm-hmm. and that many points. Was it 42, 43? What was forty one? I can't 41. remember the final because it's forty one thirty three. Forty one thirty three. It's right in front of me. I should be able to read this. Uh, forty one points in a Super Bowl. Forty one. I mean, if you give up 32, you win the game. Hey, guys, hold them to 32. <laughs> you know? Hey, hey, I'm not asking for a lot here. Keep it to 32. We'll win this thing. I mean, jeez. 41 to a backup quarterback. To a backup quarterback. I mean, what's – you know, because if you if, – did you watch any of this Tom versus Time doc, – have you watched this documentary series at all? Uh, parts I have, not fast- seen, I have not seen all of it, but, yes, I've been watching some It's of it. fascinating. I, I can't get enough of it because it just the, – the dude is so driven and, and different, you know. That's the thing that comes through. He's just different. That's what makes the great yeah. ones great. Yeah. It, no, it, it people, is. People don't realize how driven – how whether it's Michael Jordan or, or others mm-hmm. that – that they are mm-hmm. so driven and, and it's nonstop. It's it consumes mm-hmm. everything about them, and that mm-hmm. that's what drives them to greatness. And and, and beyond most, most an people aren't where, built that way to, to be able to to do, to do that. That's right. That's right. And, and beyond an age where you would expect them to do to make the sacrifices they make. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll presents the Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. 
Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. You mentioned Jordan, who, you know, is one of the great trash talkers of all time. One of the most embarrassing things I ever saw was when, when this man went into the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame and he invited the guy who cut him from his high school basketball team just so he could stand there and point fingers at him. It was almost embarrassing. You know, and then talked about players that made the team instead of him. He was he carried that chip all the way to six championships. Tom Brady, sixth round pick, one ninety nine. He's yeah, number one ninety nine. Still has the card. Still has the card. Well, he still has the chip on his shoulder from from Michigan and and Michigan. I'm a, yeah. I'm a Michigan fan of most Drew Michigan, Henson, right? Michigan fans Henson. love Tom Brady and say he was great. They didn't love him when he was there. He followed no. Brian Greasy, won a national championship. And then when he took over the starting job, Drew Henson was a freshman who was a yes. local kid from you know just outside Ann Arbor in Brighton, Michigan. And a stud. He's been known since he was in middle school there, and he was mm-hmm. supposed to be the starter. And Brady beat him out for two straight years. Henson played a little bit here and there, but Brady beat him out. Brady was the better quarterback, and Michigan fans didn't like him. And, right. and he's held that chip. And, and there was a story that um, Chris Howard was running back uh, wrote for uh, some website up there that – uh, talking about how Brady almost left Michigan after, before he took over a starter because Henson was coming in and that. And, and he's held that chip on his shoulder. And then you add the draft and everything else, and, and it drives him. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's rare. But it, when you watch this, you really see it. So my point is, I don't know if he's done with the series. I suppose he is. But I want to see a camera on this guy. Because when he lost in the regular season, it was like always, you know, ooh, that's not a good ride home with Giselle. You know, she's trying to, well, you don't know these guys. They're getting to know you. I think it's supposed to be a six-part series. I don't know how many they've released. I I I think they've done four or five. I've seen four. I I saw four released. I don't know if – I think they said six when they they announced it. I don't know that they're carrying it through the – you know, like live through the Super Bowl because it dates back at least – well, at least till the start of this year because they showed them, you know, coming to Tampa at two Mm -hmm. and two and all that. And then they ripped off eight eight wins in a row. So it might be current, but – I want to see, because, you know, he was so hacked off after they lost to the Carolina Panthers. I mean, he, this guy, they had to bleep everything, and, and his wife's trying to console him. The drive home with him is not good when he loses. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how he felt this morning when he woke up. Because it eats him, you know, he talks about the, the games, the Super Bowls he lost to the Giants. And when he woke up this morning and realized that he threw for 505 and hung 33 points on the Philadelphia Eagles, one of the best defenses in the NFL, and got smoked doing it because his damn defense and Malcolm Butler wasn't on the field. If there isn't a reason for Brady and Belichick to hate each other, they just got one. Good point. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he hung 33. I mean, and they, they left some... a lot of points, too. I mean, they dominated. Oh, no, they didn't. They could have finished. You're right. His, they, you know, his side yeah. of the ball dominated the Eagles. Right, and they, they but they weren't good in the red zone the way they normally are. No. You're right about that. And I mean, they, they, they had some they kicking not, issues, and yes, no, they were not perfect. But if you're Tom Brady, and it's Brady and Belichick, you got you know Brady's going, hey yo, I know I gave up the you know the sack fumble there that didn't make things easier. Although you know my right tackle got beat, but I don't know maybe you could have played Malcolm and buried a hatchet, and we'd have won this thing. With one less touchdown, 
Just saying, man. Help mm-hmm. me out. I mean, yeah. somebody's got some explaining to do. You know those players know something. Yeah, you stop uh, one of those. You stop one of those third down conversions the Eagles had. Yeah, one or two, and the score may be completely different. Fourth and one at the forty-five. Yeah, the yeah, whole game's right there. I mean, if they give that ball up at, at at the plus forty-five, if they don't make that first down, and the New England Patriots with a with a one point lead even take the ball, they're going down to at least make it. You know, if, uh, make it a four point game, if not, if not eight, and. um you know that's the ball game right there. What if, you know, what if you stop one guy on fourth down? Speaking of which, I just want to hit on this a little bit too, because I wrote a story for the Tampa Bay Times about about Peterson and you know sort of revisiting um, his the aggressive aggressiveness of play calling and those sort of things. And what I what I said was, this was a clinic. Look, this was a clinic for the NFL, and I and I know you know the reason it's a copycat league is because there were. 30 other owners watching this game and they're all looking at the Eagles and they're looking at the Patriots and they go, well, we don't have Belichick and Brady. Okay, I'll get rid of that. How the hell did these guys do this? In two How years. How did they do this? In two years. In two years. With a backup quarterback identifying a franchise quarterback that was maybe going to win the MVP until he got hurt in week 14 and these guys, despite losing their starting left tackle, uh, another running back, you know, I mean, just a linebacker, all kinds of people. They end up winning the Super Bowl over, you know, the New England Patriots, and everybody's wondering, you know, why can't we get a piece of this? And in and in looking at what, you know, what Peterson and and them did, I, I think it's I, I think it becomes a template now for everybody else to go in and go, hey, um, how can we be more like them? Well, I'll tell you how you can be more like Peterson. Be aggressive, you know. I I think the you know and and granted it was a Super Bowl and you're playing the New England Patriots and you know safe is death against them, and I think Jacksonville proved that and there were plenty of examples throughout the years. You cannot give them anything. You have to keep the pedal to the metal. So maybe it's maybe it's the nature of that game, but I really think it's the nature of the head coach, and of his coaching staff and a mentality that gives confidence to players like Nick Foles and all the other guys on the field that. We're going to go for it. And, and I looked some stuff up today, and we know that, you know, the, the, the great call, you know, going for it on fourth and one down there in the goal line in the first half, the, you know, that decision isn't monumental. We're going to go for it. We're not going to kick a field goal. I mean, a lot, probably a lot of coaches might say, you know what, I want to get a touchdown here, you know. Six-point lead at halftime, three-point lead at halftime really doesn't matter. I want the touchdown. But the play call that he made is what was, what was outstanding. And that's something, I guess, that um, they have an offensive quality control coach, Press Taylor is his name. And his whole job, one of his jobs, because when you're an offensive quality control guy, you're breaking down film, you're doing the cards for the practices, you know, the scripts. And when I say doing them, I mean like laminating them or whatever. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a little bit of an entry-level job, but he was given the job of sort of being the – the trick play, the the trick play volume guy. In other words, his his job was to look at all this film and find you know have a catalog of trick plays, and he found this one that the Chicago Bears had run successfully in Week 17 of the 2016 season. The Bears were going nowhere, and Matt Barkley, in fact, was the quarterback in that week and ended up catching that very same pass, and 
so they pulled it out, and then you know the fourth and fourth and goal at the one. Of course, Nick Foles becoming the only guy to, to throw a touchdown and catch a touchdown in a Super Bowl, and the rest, as they say, is history. But the other fourth down was even larger in some respects, and that is, like we said, ball in the forty-five, a little over five minutes to go. I don't know how many coaches Steve would have just said, "We're punting the ball. I don't care. It, it, we, I know we can't stop them. I am not. I cannot." You know, we're down by one. I can't turn this ball over. I think 30 other the, coaches would have done that, would have punted. Don't you? I do. I really do. And, you know, because you still – look, your defense is getting smoked, but it's still your defense. You still have to show confidence that they were the best defense all year, and and you want to pin them deep and, and try to get the ball back. You only need a field goal to win. In the worst case, you know, they go down there. If you hold them a field goal, it's a four-point game. You still can win it with a touchdown. So I think most teams would, would have probably punted the ball there. Well, he went for it. But you know what? He went for it all year. He played to he, win. The, the, but he did it all year. The Philadelphia Eagles, because you mentioned fourth down last night when we were talking about this. You go, I don't know why teams don't go. You know what? Neither do I. The Philadelphia Eagles were the second. They, went, they had the second most fourth down situations where they went for it on fourth down. And Look, I don't, I don't know where they were on the field. I don't know the fourth and what, you know. Could have been all fourth and ones, fourth and an inch. It doesn't matter. They had something like 26 situations. They, they, they were successful, I think, close to 65% of the time, which is a hell of a percentage. And that's how you win games. You know the team that had the next to last, the, the fewest, only eight fourth down situations where they tried to go for it and were 50%, which I think isn't bad, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had the second lowest attempts on fourth down, and that is what I'm talking about. Now, Dirk Cutter will listen to this and go, let me show you what these fourth downs were, and you tell me you're going for it. You know what I mean? Um, I would, no, I would, I would want to see that trend over a couple of years. To, to, I mean, because they may not have had a lot of great fourth down chances. They this may year. not have. I mean, they for one year, but but yeah. Overall, you know, when I watch the Bucks, they play it pretty safe. They're they not, do. They're not. They're not aggressive playing it to win. Um, now, whether that's, seen, whether that's just the head coach's nature, um, right. that he tends to be that way, or he doesn't have faith or trust in his quarterback or and, personnel. And I, yeah, you know, I think it's a combination. Most would, likely it is. Most likely it's, yeah. it's, it's part, it's a combination. Um, yeah. You know, but I, Are you I, ahead? Are you behind? Are you getting the ball coming out? Do you not get the ball coming out? I can remember situations, I think, this year where they had some time on the clock at the end of the first half. They didn't go for it. They had some timeouts in their pocket. They didn't use them, you know. Um, they're usually pretty good about two-minute situations, though. I mean, that's one of the strengths of their team. Um, and and you're right. Maybe it's unfair just to look at the number. I go back and look at the last three years, maybe. But um, well, that, I don't that, think that, it's that's a, the thing is without knowing the situations and off the top of my head, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't recall a ton where I would have been like they should have went for it there. But as a rule. You know the the advanced numbers, stats guys you know, that figure out all the percentages and things like that. Fourth and one, fourth mm -hmm. and two. You should be going for it almost every time. Right. If you're back at your you know your own ten yard line, maybe not. But um, yeah. and, and depending on the, the time of the game too. But but for the most part, the, the the stats guys and all that will tell you you have a better chance of succeeding at fourth and one and fourth and two than punting the ball and hoping you can stop them, et cetera, et cetera that keeping the ball is better for you in the NFL in a quarterback offensive-driven league. Mm -hmm. And I, I completely understand. But I here's what I don't think is an accident. We can give Dirk Cutter a pass. 
I don't think it's an accident that Peterson had the second most attempted fourth down situations this year. I think that's who he is. Oh, I and agree, and I, he showed he I showed that in the, in, in the Super it. Bowl. I mean, he if showed you'll do it in the biggest game of the year. Mm-hmm. You can say, "Well, it's a Super Bowl. Why wouldn't you do it? This is it's do or die. You know, you're trying to win a Lombardi Trophy. I get it." But he did it all year. He mm-hmm. did it all year, and and they were successful doing it all year. Yeah, so. I, th- I think the high number shows you that more more than likely that's your tendency to be aggressive, to go for it, to right. play to win, rather than the low number. The low number, yeah. uh, it's not saying it, it it isn't, but it might be deceiving. You don't know the you know the situations. If you're you know you don't have a running game and you're you're behind the chains at third and ten all the time. So big, it's getting, a big factor is the running. I, and another thing is this that you know, and Dirk has said it. And I, this makes no sense to me either, although they've done the work, the film work, and I guess they know this. But they 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 are not a quarterback sneak team, right? They don't run quarterback sneaks ever. They say Jameis can't do it. He's no good. He's just not good at it. He's no good at it, and they're not good at, on a short yardage and running the ball. So that would influence your decision mm-hmm. if you're fourth and That's one. That's one thing I always two. think of the Patriots. Tom Brady, fourth and one. He's all, he's know exactly what he's doing, and he always gets it. Yeah, you you know he's going either left or right side of his center. Right. Look at the formation, and, and you know you fourth and the one, they're, the, they're on going the left every thigh. Time. You're going left. You tap yep. the guy on the right thigh. You're going right. Right. Yep. That's that's just the way it works. But um, I want it real quickly. I want to get into uh, just a minute, and we'll wrap this up with uh, John Lynch and his Hall of Fame chances moving forward. But I wanted to say, um, you know, I didn't cover Nelson Aguilar when he was here at uh, Berkeley Prep. Uh, a lot of our high school writers did, and they've written some terrific stories about him. Um, I had to familiarize myself a little bit. I mean, I remember watching him uh, play on television, and and Monty Kiffin sure as hell was after him because he was, you know, after him and Mason Cole, who went to Michigan and calling me all the time. Uh, and they wound up getting Nelson out to USC when Lane was the coach there, and he did. He played his whole career out there. But if you know Nelson's story, I mean, his two parents, I guess, uh, came over from Nigeria. They sacrificed everything for their kids. Um, you know, he was a soft-spoken guy and became an outstanding player in youth league pretty early on. And, and I mean, here he, here he was all week at the Super Bowl. And, and what I, you know, not following the Eagles all that much, Nelson, I mean, I cover the NFL, but I'm, I'm entrenched with the Bucs pretty much. And but I remember, you know, he had had a couple of really rough years in the NFL, especially last year. He had a lot of drops. I think he had eight drops, and they were big drops. You know, they were game-changing type things. And um, I talked to Frank Reich, who's, you know, their offensive coordinator, former Bills quarterback uh, who backed up Jim Kelly all those years. And, um, you know, Frank was telling me that, that if, you, if you go back and look at the adversity that Nelson faced, um, because the year he had this year – he, I think he, I think he more than doubled the number, you know, the yards. The production was ridiculous. I think he had eight touchdowns or so in the regular season. Look, the Super Bowl. Go back and watch that final drive and look at the big plays that Nelson makes on third down. Um, I think he led them in catches with eight. He was, he was a mat, he was their matchup nightmare. He beat Chung all night long out of the slot. Uh, he ran the ball. I mean, they did everything with him, and he was sort of that wild card in their offense. That kept them going. So uh, hats off to him. Uh, you know he 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 was a he's a humble kid. He he just and, and this is what Frank said. He just, he, the kid just works hard. And he says if I you know he told me he said if I had a son or a daughter facing adversity, I want him to point to him and say, handle it like you did. And you know Nelson after the game said some things about how you know hey man hard work hard work pays off hard work pays off. I'm just telling you everybody out there should know this. Because he's been through some trials, 
but I was proud of him, man, if you, uh, if you represent Tampa to see the job that he did. So, uh, finally, John Lynch, I've been asked a lot about him, and I was disappointed. Um, and I'm going to sound a bit like a shill, and I try not to do this because I'm not a fan of the Buccaneers. I cover the Buccaneers. Uh, I'm a fan of people, though, and John Lynch is just a good person. And he was a hell of a player, and I think a Hall of Fame player. He's been a finalist, which means he's been, you know, received enough votes to get into the to- the final 15 where you're actually debated. Those are the 15 people that those 46, 47 voters on Saturday morning, they start very early and they, they, they present each one. Ira Kaufman presents John Lynch. He might, he might get some help from the Denver Rider as well. Um, they spent about 17 minutes. And, you know, every year that John, this is the fifth year he's been a finalist, he has made it uh, to the top ten the previous four years. Well, this year he didn't, and so he seems to have lost a little bit of support. And you know, we know that uh, Sean Dawkins, the Eagles' safety, Brian Dawkins, who was an, oh, Brian Dawkins. I'm sorry, did I say Sean? Yeah, Brian Dawkins, uh, the Eagles' safety, who was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, is every bit as deserving as John is, and in this case, they thought more so. And and I get it. Statistically, more interceptions. John had just 26. I think Dawkins had 37, 11 more interceptions. He had touchdowns. John didn't have any. He has some fumble recoveries. And he was an all-decade player. That's the one thing that, you know, that John John was not, although it doesn't make sense when I go back and look at the, the years that, you know, he made, what, nine Pro Bowls. I'm still kind of surprised by that. But nonetheless, okay, Brian Dawkins over John Lynch. The problem is this, that – the players coming now, you know, safety is one of those positions that we've talked about. It's very hard to quantify, you know, what is the value of the safety? What is, you know, some guys have interceptions, some guys don't. And and I guess you just have to talk to Tony Dungy about the value of that position in his defense with the three technique, the weak side linebacker, and the safety all playing together. I think John's a Hall of Famer. Here's, the, here's what he's going to face now. If he has enough juice still to get back into the to be a finalist and get in the top 15 which I don't know if he does or not next year coming up Ed Reed Raven safety first ballot guy sorry first ballot guy they're not going to elect in all probability two safeties next year and if our and defensive just, backs go you got Champ Bailey next year too Champ Bailey that's, that's what I was going to say you really have to me three three guys from the modern era that'll they'll all be first ballots next year Reed Tony Gonzalez and Champ Bailey to me are all going to make the Hall of Fame. There's two DBs right there. So there's not going to be another one, uh, in my opinion, because there's a lot of offensive linemen got bad pass. Remember, they took two receivers, two linebackers, and Brian Dawkins. So next year doesn't look good for John Lynch. The year after that, Troy Polamalu is going to be eligible in 2020. So that's going to be a, a, a competition for him as well. And Polamalu was, you know, this guy had numbers and lots of interceptions and big games and all those things that he can throw up there. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm worried for John. I, I think he's so deserving. And, um, you know, I, there's a good chance now because he's been successful early on if he can sign Garoppolo to a long-term deal. He may win a Super Bowl before he gets in the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure that wouldn't help him in some weird way. But I'm, I've been asked about this, and, and there's going to be more. Here's the thing. We're in, we're in this, this time where there's a lot of these modern-day guys that we all know Peyton Manning, some others will be coming around now that you're going to go, oh, yeah, there's two, there's three. They only use five modern-day spots every year. 
It's not like the Baseball Hall of Fame where you could have zero, you could have ten. So I hope, John, I hope he doesn't lose his momentum. And, and history tells us there's a better than 90% chance that he'll eventually get in the Hall of Fame because he's been a finalist so many times. But for those of you asking, um, yeah, not a, not a great weekend for him. Not at all, especially as, as you mentioned with the uh, not getting in the top ten this time. Um, you know, mm-hmm. once you're in the top ten, you kind of want to stay there. Although there were, you know, what was there three first ballot Hall of Famers this time? So yeah, takes up three spots out of the, you know, from the year right. before, and and then To and you know, there, you know, he'd been he'd been kept out. There's also momentum, you know, for Tony Baselli and some other guys that made the top ten this year that had not been considered in the past. So he might get right back in the queue. I mean, usually, you know, the queue helps you the longer you've not been. He was the guy of of the of the final fifteen. John had been in that room the most, and that normally helps you. It didn't help him this time. Maybe it'll help him down the road. Anyway, uh, we appreciate you listening to our podcast, Sports Day Tampa Bay. Uh, Again, you can visit us on Twitter. We want your feedback and your questions because we're going to be doing some mailbag stuff. You can reach us at Sports Day TB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Uh, also, uh, feel free to email me, rstroud at tampabay.com or stroudbucks at aol.com. You can reach us, uh, really listen to our podcast anywhere. Um, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, where else, Steve? They can get us almost Google anyplace. Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, tampabay.com slash sports. All right. So if you haven't signed up, if you weren't uh, part of the Rick and Tom uh, family, get in there and sign up. And we're going to, you know, this this podcast will... Uh, I promise have have interviews. We got some stuff, exciting stuff coming up at the end of the week that we'll talk about. Uh, maybe tomorrow, the next day. The Rays, of course, are getting into full swing. The Lightning, as uh, I'm I'm uh, talking on this uh, podcast, look like they may be going down. Yeah, the uh, Connor McDavid with a hat trick. Uh, so they're going to end really? this. Uh, wow. The road trip. It's actually an eight game road trip that had the All Star game in the middle. But they they're coming back with ten out of sixteen points on those eight games. That's uh, that's a successful road trip. Uh, they'll be home thir- mm-hmm. Thursday night against Vancouver, and then uh, mm-hmm. Saturday night. Big Nat uh, Friday, right? Or is it Saturday? Saturday night, night the Kings Vinny? are in town, and that's the Vinny LeCavalier retirement ceremony. They'll put his yeah. number in the rafters up next to Marty St. Louis. That'll be Saturday night. That's awesome. We'll be talking about Vinny LeCavalier and just, just where he fits in, not just in Tampa Bay, but in, uh, in hockey royalty, but certainly what he's meant to this franchise. And, Steve, I know you you got a lot of thoughts about that. Well, not just the um, franchise, but the community, too. I mean, he's been especially the community. Yeah, he's probably done as much or more. I know his name's on a Stanley Cup, but he's probably done as much or more for the community than than many athletes that we've ever had here. Well, so not just what he's done for the community, but the um, how he's helped Marty St. Louis and Stamkos and all mm-hmm. that learn to to want to give back and and do the same. Um, you know, yeah. his influence over you know some of the current Lightning players and and that uh, is affecting the community is you know it goes beyond just what he's done personally. Yeah, no, well said, and we'll talk a lot about him this week. So stay with us. We'll, uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow. And for Steve Versick, this is Rick Stroud. Have a good night.